You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks supporter at the Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of Brewhoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? I always feel kind of guilty when you say joining me as always a day after I didn't join you. Um, it's okay. But, you know, I always I always appreciate how you always mention me right out the front, even when I'm not joining you. Um, it, it makes you're my really guy, Frank. Like we're we're just a team, you know. It's it's a beautiful thing. We as we've talked about, I talk to you more than any other person other than my wife. So, um it's uh that's one of the weird things about being a podcaster and doing a almost daily podcast about a basketball team. Uh, you get to know your fellow podcaster well. So, uh, I'm glad to be back. Um I'm not going to say I miss you, Eric, cuz it's only been like 2 days since I talked to you extensively. Sure. Um but uh it's uh I'm I'm glad we can get back and Glad that the Bucks have a couple days off, to be honest. Um, you know, a little bit of rest. Uh, I know you were tweeting asking about whether two days off in Miami is necessarily a positive thing or, or not. Um, <laughs> but uh, judging by the last time they went down to Miami without any any rest, um, they got crushed. So hopefully, as I was joking with you guys, um, hopefully, you know, if they rage, uh, it's Wednesday night and then uh, Thursday they can just take it easy. Uh, you know, uh, get in a, uh, I don't know, if, I don't know if they're practicing what they're doing. Uh, if they're just doing a little shoot around, whatever they're doing, but hopefully they, uh, you know, get right on Thursday and then are ready to uh, return, uh, maybe return the favor a little bit for that uh, incredibly ugly loss they had uh, in Miami the last time they were there. Obviously they, they crushed the heat um, in between uh, then and now at home at Pfizer forum, but we're still waiting for Giannis to like go off on the heat. Like he had didn't have a big game in that one either. So um, there, I still have unfinished business, Eric, with the Miami heat on behalf of, uh, <laughs> on behalf of Giannis in particular, but, um, but yeah, nice to get to nice for the bucks to have a couple off days. Cause obviously it feels like they've had a pretty congested schedule and, you know, they've taken some losses. Uh, obviously they had the three game road losing streak gasp. Um, so that was nice to, to kind of get, get that out of the way. And, um, yeah, obviously beating Miami would, would be a very nice thing. And, um, but I don't know. I mean, we were, we were talking about, uh, before the, for the podcast, what, what can we talk about? And it's such a weird time of the season because the bucks have never been better in our lifetimes, at least our conscious lifetimes. Um, I would say, uh, they are, you know, <laughs> yeah. 68 games in and they are one, one win short of matching, uh, by far the best team of, of my bucks fandom lifetime um which was the obviously the 01 team that went to the east finals i, I was a i was uh alive for some better teams in the 80s but i was not um living in wisconsin or a bucks fan at the, at, at the point yet so i can't claim any of the you know um early to mid 80s teams unfortunately but um it's weird because i feel like we are in this weird spot now where we're kind of 
you know, smug and happy with the Bucks, and we have these like really high expectations now. <laughs> and as much as maybe we don't like to admit it, like I feel like you know, I don't want to say that like we're all bored with the Bucks' greatness or like bored with the regular season, um, because I think I think a lot of us are obviously still trying to enjoy the fact that we go into every game expecting to win, and we're seeing great performances from Giannis and obviously um, the team very regularly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it feels like on some level, like we kind of know what the Bucks are. And I mean, we've, we kind of have joked about it. Like, you know, like when you talk about like the Warriors, how it just seems like they want to hit fast forward on the regular season from the first game. And it feels like the Bucks, even though this is their first year of, of being a really, really good team, it does feel like there's a little bit of that feeling now. It's like, all right, uh, can we just kind of get to playoffs? And not to say that the Bucks themselves are like completely bored with the regular season or, or something like that. But as a fan, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, all right, man, now just all that's left is, is the playoffs, right? All that's left now is to start proving you can do in the playoffs. Um, but I guess we should talk about, I mean, what is there? I, I think it's an interesting conversation. Like, What do we have to learn? What do we have to watch out for um, in the rest of this regular season? Because, I mean, we still have uh, basically, what, a month left of the regular season. And, um, you know, there's still things to play for. It's not like the East is completely locked up or the best record in the league is completely locked up. Although the Raptors seem to always do the Bucks a solid and lose whenever they lose. But um, what do you, I mean, what are you thinking about? Like, as you're watching these games, you watch as closely as anyone, you know, macro, micro, what, what are you kind of like looking for game to game or what's, what's one of the important things as fans to actually worry about? Because I think at this point, there's probably like, we get into arguments about really stupid, like kind of minor stuff or we get really bent out of shape about an individual <laughs> game. Um, but at this point, you know, I think things are generally pretty, pretty darn good, but obviously there's still some things that we can kind of watch out for, whether they're serious or, or kind of more fun. Uh, one of the things you, you mentioned is, you know, I, I'm worried about two days off in Miami. Uh, our good friend, Matt Moore, uh, over at the Action Network, uh, he's the person I always go to for is blank is blank nightlife undefeated. Uh, anytime I, ha- anytime I have those questions, cause he's very good at having those numbers uh, out in front of him as he, he is now at a, at a gambling website. Um, so I asked him about, you know, having two days off in Miami seems like a recipe for disaster for NBA players. Uh, and he said that teams have actually done pretty well, both historically and especially this season when facing Miami with at least two days off. So that's good to hear. He said straight up the heat are just 10 and 12 at home this year when the opponent has been off at least a day. So, uh, um, good, good for them. That's, that's good for the bucks that I, you know, you know, I had a little bit of concern and, uh, that that's okay to hear. Um, I'm, I'm still not sure that they're going to come in the most focused they've ever been after two days in Miami. Uh, cause after all, these are, uh, millionaires in Miami, uh, which I think we, we can imagine the, the fun you could have uh, with that being the case in South Beach, but uh, that is good to hear. But as far as, as things that, you know, like I'm actually thinking about and, you know, actually worried about, I, I, I don't think this will come as a surprise to uh, anyone, I think, that listens to this podcast. But, you know, for me, it's, is George Hill athlete actually healthy? Like that is that is a real thing to me, and you know I don't mean that to say that the the Bucks are making up him being close. I, I'm not trying to say that if he comes back he won't be healthy. Uh, groins are just really shitty injuries. 
Like that's uh, it's one of the things that I've learned covering basketball over the years. It's just that like you don't have you don't have a, a ton of confidence in uh, coming back from a groin injury early. I don't think that the Bucks have pushed Hill along in any way. They've been very careful with it, but uh, groin injuries can you know pop back up, and if they pop back up again, then they don't go anywhere like that. That to me would be a concern. So, uh, as far as you know, I think that is both a little bit micro and macro. Uh, in in the near future, you'd like to see the Bucks play better defensively, get back to what they were doing on the defensive end of the ball before the All Star break. But then, you know, also going into the playoffs, uh, having a backup point guard's good. Um, that that's, that's a good thing to have. And uh, I know we were kind of talking to people on Twitter about it today, but a lot of them said, well, you know, Malcolm Brogdon can play point guard and, uh, he can, like, I'm not, I'm not going to try to say that he can't do that, but also I don't think he's particularly good at it. Um, he's just too big in uh, a little bit too slow footed to stay with point guards defensively. Uh, especially in pick and rolls. We've seen that again and again this year. Uh, you saw that pop up in that Suns game. Uh, the article I had last week at the athletic about, you know, the Bucks current struggles and, you know, watching him cover Devin Booker was just, just not a fun experience. Cause he just can't get over those screens. He can't get through them. He can't avoid them. Um, and obviously that leads to point guards getting pull up threes, getting good looks, getting into the lane like that. That's a problem. So you know, I just don't know that he can handle it defensively. Like, sure, he can get you through, but ultimately you're not going to be functioning at your highest level when uh, you have him at at the point guard. And, you know, as our as our friend Dean Maniot at all the Bucks likes to say, he's just really an undersized three. And, you know, I think it can rear its most ugly head when, you know, you have him playing the point. And that can really be a, can really be a problem. So to me... George Hill, his health and, you know, how he's doing is something that sticks out to me as one thing that I'll be watching uh, through the final, what was it, 14 games of the season? Uh, yeah, for, yeah, for, yeah, because they're at 51, 17, 68, 14, yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think injuries just in general, right? I mean, now you're you're kind of at this part of the season where, um, you know, you're kind of in that like no whammies mode where, um, you know, you just want to get to, to the playoffs healthy. Uh, you know, you mentioned George and, and Sterling Brown being the other guy that has been injured um, for a little while now who have been obviously parts of the regular rotation. So to the extent, obviously, you can get those guys back and, and sooner rather than later as well. I mean, we saw, um, uh, I guess it was uh, last year. Um, you know, Malcolm Brogdon came back, what, like the final week of the season, I think, um, Mm -hmm. from, from his leg injury. And, um, other than hitting that one big shot, um, I think it was game four in Milwaukee, I want to say, um, he, man, he, uh, he, he stunk against the Celtics. (laughs) Um, he was really bad. And, um, you know, again, like I'm sure coming back from that injury had, was part of it. And uh, so, so you want to be able to get these guys back and, and get them into some kind of rhythm before the playoffs. Uh, and so I think certainly getting those guys, especially Hill back, I think Hill's certainly by far the most important. Um, you know, we kind of talked about the other night. I, I, I have no idea. It wouldn't shock me if, if Sterling Brown um, just has to fight for uh, his return to the, to the starting five. I mean, 
Pat Connaughton we've seen has actually hit some threes of late, um, which was really the thing that probably lost him a, a rotation job kind of in the first couple months of the season. He obviously started on the bench and then he kind of wormed his way into the rotation, um, taking Dante Di Vincenzo's spot when he couldn't shoot. And then uh, Connaughton kind of stopped shooting. And, uh, you know, with the exception of uh, of uh, the San Antonio game, when he went four out of four from three, he's just had a really hard time rediscovering his shot. But, um, you know, if he's getting that back a little bit, I mean, we've seen, you know, he, he's had, it feels like he's had a lot of like random games where Pat Connaughton doesn't play a ton of minutes, but then he, he ends up with like 10 points, seven <laughs> rebounds and four assists. And, yeah. you know, I think that obviously speaks to playing kind of the Bud way and doing kind of things that, that, you know, Bud likes. Um, and obviously it's kind of interesting. I saw, saw some comments the other day about like, oh, he's not a good defender. And I was like, really? Like, we don't think Pat Connaughton is a good defender. I mean, you know, he can, I don't think his, um, I, 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 I would say I'm, I question whether or not he's a good defender. I would say I I, I think his um, trying to block every shot thing. I haven't really noticed that as much of late. Um, I think the way the Bucks play stylistically, um, you know, having a guy who really aggressively challenges like from the rear on on like pick and rolls is is more useful, let's say, than than normal. I don't think Pat Connaughton is an elite getting around screens guy. Um, probably, you know, the fact that it's often him or Brockton who would have to do it probably makes him look better. Um, but he's definitely not blood. So, and I think I'm going to be curious to see DiVincenzo. Um, I, I can't, I, you know, honestly, I'm not going to, I have not watched DiVincenzo close enough to tell whether how good he is defending pick and rolls, but he's at least a guy who I think can make himself skinnier getting mm-hmm. around screens than, um, a lot of the other, a lot of the other guys, which is something that is kind of a weird skill. Um, but it's an important one, obviously, in kind of the modern NBA. And you always sort of, you always think about like wanting really like strong athletic guys, even if they're short. But most guys are not like Eric Bledsoe, where they can be really strong and athletic and also be able to navigate around screens and just like avoid taking hits. Um, you know, Brogdon being kind of the classic example. But I mean, Giannis as well, right? I mean, Giannis yeah. also just like dies on screens and it's just like really hard for him with his enormous frame, especially now to, to kind of get around screens easily. Um, so I, by the way, the other guy I always think of as, as be, being able to get really skinny on screens, cause he's really narrow Shea Gilgis Alexander. I feel like he's, <laughs> he's going to be really yeah. good at that. Um, so I, I don't know. We're gonna, we'll, we'll see kind of how this stuff works out, but I think the guys who are currently injured, I think are important, but then I think the other, I mean, the, just you know, probably even more important than that are the guys that have, you know, Giannis and, and Brogdon, who we've seen miss games in the last few weeks with kind of nagging injuries. Um, <clears throat> obviously, we've talked about Giannis a lot, so I don't know if we need to talk a whole lot more about, you know, kind of that right knee soreness that, that crops up, you know, semi-regularly. I mean, the fact that he has played in the last two back-to-backs, um, I would certainly say it was probably a very good sign because, you know, like we said, I don't think the Bucks are going to, risk him you know in any way um so hopefully he is feeling good um you know last night obviously he didn't need to play that much with foul trouble and you know um hasn't been running up huge minute totals which is is obviously a good thing in general too um but obviously you know making sure Giannis is is good going into the playoffs is kind of the most important thing that we've talked about a lot um and Ben Brogdon's probably the other guy right I mean anytime you see plantar fasciitis mentioned you worry obviously is he going to um you know, is he going to have some, some type of flare up? Is it going to be something that, that bothers him, prevents him from kind of being the player that, that he, you need him to be in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see if, if he's another guy that maybe has his minutes managed a little bit more. Certainly if you get Hill back, then 
it's easier to just rest Brogdon, even if you're, you know, still trying to win games. And I think if you're the Bucks, um, and maybe this is sort of another, the sort of transitions into kind of the, the next point, which is, um, I'm, I'm very curious to see just like how aggressively the Bucks continue to go for wins and kind of make those health trade-offs uh, kind of going into the season. I, I have to think the Bucks really want to win 60 games. I have to think the Bucks desperately want to keep that first seed. They want to keep the best record in the league. There are very good reasons for that, obviously, because, I mean, as the Bucks have been great on the road overall, but I mean, you've got, you know, you're, you're, it's not like you're the Warriors and you've won three titles in the last few years. Like, you know, you, you, I don't think any of us should be overly confident the Bucks are going to go win a, a, seven, a game seven on the road, right? In in the East Finals or in the in the NBA Finals, right? Like, I think clearly there's an advantage when you're the best home team in the league um, to to being able to have home court throughout the playoffs. So I think that's something I'm sure they want to do. I'm sure they want to win a ton of games. Um, usually teams on the rise, that's very important, right? You know, I mean, the Warriors now obviously don't necessarily care that much about regular season wins just because they know they can win any series anyway. Um, but I think for the team like the Bucks, I think it's important to kind of keep that mojo going. Um, but by the same token, I think they're also going to make sure that they don't risk, um, you know, going into the playoffs, losing guys or having guys dinged up. So I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch. I desperately want to see this team win 60 games. Not desperately. I really want to see this team win 60 <laughs> games. Um, I think it'd be just an awesome accomplishment, you know. And obviously, Bud has done this before. And, you know, you look at that Atlanta team and you look at this team, obviously, there's no reason to think where they are now and, and what Bud has done before. That I mean, this, this is a better team than that team. So um, so I really want to see them do that and, uh, and crack 60 wins. I mean, look, 14 games left. They need to go 9-5 and five the rest of the way. I'd say that's that's pretty damn doable, given what we've seen from this team. I and mean, that's obviously they've won at better than that clip so far. So fingers crossed that happens. What what's your I guess any thoughts on that? Like I mean, you're obviously around the team every game. Like I don't know. I don't. I don't. I imagine the team is not like openly talking about how many games they want to win. But what's your read on that? Like I mean, is home court is winning. Uh, milestone number of games like how important is that stuff do you think to this team especially given that you know obviously they have not done this before and, and won at this level previously i don't i don't think um i don't think milestone wins is really a thing like i don't i don't i don't think any of the guys in the locker room are driven by the idea that like oh we could be a 60 win team i don't think that means anything to them but what i do think is they believe that it would be very important to have game seven of the Eastern conference semifinals game seven of the Eastern conference finals and game seven of the finals in Pfizer form. Like, I think they believe that is incredibly important. So I don't think they're chasing numbers or, or anything like that. They're just, to me, they understand how good they are at home. And I've said this a number of times, like, we've seen the bucks play this year and you know, like you can, you can kind of watch them on the road where, you know, they're 24 and 12 and be like, okay, like, yeah, you know, you could beat that team on the right night. But I mean, you watch that team play at Pfizer form, the 27 and five there. And it's just like, how the hell are you going to beat them? Because, and again, like, I don't, I don't know that it's, it would bear out in the numbers that they shoot much better at home or anything like that. But there is just kind of a, a quiet confidence to them when they play at Pfizer Forum, where it's just like we're we're gonna win this game, like we're really good, 
And yeah, we could go down by a bunch, but that's fine because we're going to rattle off a bunch of threes or we're going to get a bunch of stops or, or whatever it may be. Like, I think they play with a supreme confidence at home. And, you know, oftentimes after home games, I've just kind of looked around in the press room and, and kind of asked that to Matt or Kane or Malika or whoever it is and just be like, how are you going to beat them? Like at, at home, like if they have home court advantage, like not that they're going to go undefeated at home in the playoffs, but you're really going to have to play a great game to beat them at Pfizer Forum. And I think that means a lot to them. And I think it means it, it can really give you a, a whole lot of confidence. So for me, that is what I think they would be concerned about is trying to close out this regular season with the best record in the league that they get themselves home court advantage throughout. And again, th- this isn't me saying the Bucks are for sure going to the NBA Finals, and this isn't me saying that they're going to push the Warriors to seven games. But this is me saying if they get that chance, that is what they would prefer. <laughs> like that that they really desperately would like that uh that advantage, that that kind of bit of confidence that you would have uh with home court advantage throughout. So, um that would be where I would say their heads are at. Not that 60 wins isn't important or a milestone or, you know, something to aspire towards. Uh, to me, it's, it would be about trying to get that home court advantage. Yeah. And, and to kind of, I guess, put a, put a, a point to that. Um, the bucks are plus 12.7 net rating uh, at home plus 5.5 on the road. So, uh, obviously yes, they are, they're a great road team. I mean, they, they've been tremendous. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know if they still have the best, road record they're they're close to it if not the best um and but obviously they i think they're they are still the best uh, home team or at least close to it uh, i think they're still the best I, I think denver had four losses for a while but i think i think they are now right there um but they obviously are have been have been better at, at home and and both better offensively better defensively um they shoot a little bit better uh three point three pointers wise at home 36 percent at home 34 and a half percent on the road um so again, like it's you know I don't want to um, I don't want to make it sound like they're they're bad on the road because they are definitely not they are great on the road, um, but it just <laughs> yeah. sort of underscores. I mean, even a great road team is probably going to be a lot better at home when you're playing at this this elite level. So having this that extra uh, and I think it's funny too, like like it's kind of funny. I was like thinking about it, I was like there's all there's especially when you're a young team there's maybe a little bit of that paranoia that you know when you have game one like game one of like the East Finals or something like that right like there's maybe like a little bit of paranoia that like oh you know, if you lose that first game or even lose one of the first two, um, then all of a sudden there's a lot of pressure, right? Because now you've lost, uh, you yeah. lost the home court advantage, but it, it's obviously a lot less about that. There's maybe a little bit more pressure, um, especially given the bucks are, are pretty new to this playing those early games at home. But as you said, um, you know, especially when you think about a young team I and mean, we, we've seen, um, we've seen the bucks lose a game seven on the road. Um, you, you know, it's tough. It is real tough to go into, an opposing team's gym and win a game seven on the road, regardless of, of who it is or what the scenario is. Uh, so to, to have that home court advantage um, in part, because if you have the home court advantage, that means you were a better team during the regular season. So you're probably better yeah. anyway. So there's obviously, you know, when you look at like road team records in game sevens, I mean, it's kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, they're going to be way worse because those teams are, they're not as good. They're yes. not as good. Um, but, but also, uh, like, think back to like think back to Game Six. So they lose to the Raptors in six, right? But 
have you ever seen a team further down and further out <laughs> than, than that Bucks team was in that game six? And like they didn't win the game, like they still lost the Raptors. But you know, the, to me, that's that's kind of part of what I mean about just having a supreme confidence when when you're playing at home. And you know, that Bucks team had really like no business coming back in that game. Chris Middleton couldn't talk couldn't really like move his neck, like probably shouldn't have played, but did it was on an IV the next day. Like Giannis is just playing all of the minutes in that series. Jason Kidd running him into the ground. Like Jason Terry was hitting shot. Like there was so much in that game that shouldn't have gone their way. And yet they were able to get to that spot. And in the end they didn't have enough, but I just think home court can mean so much. And then, you know, you think of last year in game seven where, it just felt like nothing could go right for them in Boston. And, you know, like it, it is in some ways kind of silly to think like, oh, yeah, like you're playing at home, so you have more confidence. Like just just play better on the road. Like well, why is that the case? But it is like it's a real thing. And, you know, I do think that could be uh, a, a big time a big time factor for this Bucks team in this playoffs, like being able to have home court throughout. For sure. Um so one other um, one other reason why I think the Bucks are motivated to be good, um, and again this fits a little bit into kind of the novelty of the newness of the situation, uh, is the fact that Giannis is currently I would say I think he's still the betting favorite to win MVP. Um, obviously, again there is still a month left in the season, so narrative wise that's that's still that's still time, right? I mean things things can happen. Um, and I don't think, you know, again, like not that the team is going to play dramatically differently overall because Giannis is trying to get the MVP. Um, but I am curious to watch, does that impact, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, is Giannis going to be playing any differently? I think the, I would say no. I don't, I mean, Giannis, it's not like Giannis has an on-off switch that, or sorry, it's not like Giannis is like going to ramp down his, his energy or, or effort or something like that because he's trying to avoid injury. Like, when Giannis is playing, Giannis is playing, right? I mean, like when Giannis is playing, he's going to go for that insane chase down block and put his whole body on the line because that's like the only way he really knows how to play. Um, so I don't know if it necessarily affects like Giannis's mindset, um, but I kind of wonder. It's like the like like the game against um, New Orleans. Like Giannis came back pretty late in that game, played until basically like the two minute mark. Um, played longer than he needed to, I would say. Obviously, the foul trouble meant that he had not actually played that many minutes. But, like, kind of moments like that, I do kind of wonder, like, you know, are they partly kind of keeping him out there because they want him to, like, kind of keep playing, maybe get, get his numbers a little bit? Um, you know, we've seen the Bucks are not bashful about trying to get Giannis his assists when he has a triple-double. Um, uh, you know, when he's in the running for a triple-double, it becomes very obvious they're, you know, hunting for his assists, which, again, I'm totally fine with, both as a Giannis uh, stat horror as well as you know somebody who would say Giannis attacking and passing to open guys for wide open three point shooters is generally a pretty good strategy. Like it's not it's not <laughs> like you're it's not like you're uh, sacrificing a lot offensively to to make that happen. Um, but I I think it's going to be interesting to to watch. Um, I, again, you know, and the nice thing is like I mean they can rest him here and there, and it's not like he's going to lose the MVP because he sat out the you know a couple back to backs or something like that. So I don't know if it really I don't know if it necessarily. I don't think it necessarily changes what the way the Bucks are going to play or their strategy. Um, but it's still, I think, an interesting subplot to watch because you know if Giannis like just crushes the last month of the season, then I think it's in the bag. 
the Bucks win 60 games and, you know, lock up the best record, I think he's going to, uh, you know, be the favorite, maintain his status as the favorite for the MVP. Uh, and again, who knows, right? I mean, there's always the X factor of Harden, just like averaging 50 points a game for a month straight or something, something crazy. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and maybe that, you know, throws it out and into a little bit of, of doubt, but, um, you know, I think, I think the Paul George as a third candidate thing is, is finally dead now that he's was injured and then has been pretty bad for the last like week or two since he came back. Um, but you know, we'll see it. It may, there may be some tension in the Madden household um, as, <laughs> as I watch Giannis and my wife watches uh, James Harden because she, my wife is a Rockets fan over this last month of the season. Uh, so I think that will be an interesting thing to watch. And we know that the Rockets are, uh, are not going to, you know, play James Harden 25 minutes per game in the last couple of weeks of the season. We know that they will not do that. They are, I'd say pretty openly campaigning for him for MVP. They're pretty openly, you know, they try to get him his stats. They keep him in late in games to keep his, you know, consecutive whatever point streaks going, which I don't think he has one right now. But um, but I, I think it'll be a fun kind of last month of the season. I would say uh, I'm pretty optimistic about uh, about him winning the MVP. But again, you know, if he gets hurt and misses the last few weeks of the season, I mean, that could knock him out, right? The, there's still, I think, cl- a close enough race for the MVP that, um, you know, you, you kind of have to keep doing what you're doing both as a team and, and Giannis sort of, uh, you know, individually. I think, man, just thinking about the MVP and kind of how all this goes, um, I am really curious to see how, I guess, how Paul George plays into all of this because, you know, I can't... Mm. Am- uh, vote splitting maybe maybe take some votes or something well, like that I, well i've been thinking about it and you know like i've heard people mention that but it's like if you pick Giannis or you pick harden isn't your second place vote going to the other guy like is is paul george really gonna steal like second place votes because you know then that's kind of where this becomes this means a little bit more right like yeah th- those are the votes that mean something and, you know, that's the thing I'm really struggling to comprehend is, like, has he had a good enough season and, you know, been in a spot, whether or not, like, the injuries and stuff have obviously taken him out of it a little bit. But to me, it's just like, okay, you can you can say it's not Giannis, but if you say it's not Giannis, uh, it's got to be Harden. And you can say it's Harden, but you know, if it's not hardened, then it's Giannis. Like, I, I don't know how Paul George factors into it. And, and I think that's kind of where this gets interesting is if he does actually get some second place votes, because, you know, then that really kind of messes with everything uh, because th- those obviously mean more than third place votes. So I, I'm really interested to see how all of that kind of plays out. And, you know, I, I think with Giannis and in, in the MVP, I, I you mentioned, you know, maybe him playing a little bit longer than he should. And I, I gotta, I gotta say, Giannis should really give a shout out to all of his teammates for never being able to hold the lead. Uh, and like, it's, it's not that like they, the bucks are ever in danger. Like they're never in danger, but bud is, you know, a pretty careful coach. Yeah. And there's been a number of times where Giannis comes off at whatever Five minutes, is, four minutes, yeah five minutes, whatever. And then it's boom, five Oh, right. And he's just like, damn it guys. Right. It goes from 18 point right, lead yeah, to like, 11 point lead or whatever it is. And then, 
It, like, and then he's just like, okay, good. Giannis comes back in and they run three plays for Giannis and it's three dunks. And that's great. Like, obviously that's six more points for Giannis on the night. And it shows that he's closing games or whatever you want to say. But like, uh, it just feels, and I'm trying to think there was a game earlier this year where he went full on and was just like, nope, like Giannis is not coming back in. And I'm trying to, it's killing me that I can't remember which game it was, but it did get like, kind of hairy like below like the double digit threshold like it got to a spot where it was like uh, maybe Giannis should come back like maybe that is what they should do here and I've for the life of me I can't remember what game it was but uh like I said like that's kind of been the case and Giannis has to go a little bit longer and like it I will say to Bud's credit like obviously he does a good enough job with Giannis's minutes that it's not like okay the, the Bucks are playing Giannis 38 minutes in this game that they won by 15. It'll be like, okay, instead of getting him 28 minutes that night, you had to bring him back in and, you know, you got him up to 30 or 31. Um, but it, like it does, it does matter because a lot of the times Giannis kind of comes back and is just like, really guys, like you're really going to make me do this. Fine. Fine. I'll close it down. I'll shut it down. Like I got this. I got it. Um, so uh, I think that'll be interesting. And uh, I mean, <laughs> With with Harden, obviously, I think he, as of late, he's been a little bit quieter, um, still doing just ridiculous stuff um, because he's James Harden and they give him the ball all the time. And that's kind of how it works. But, you know, if you're the Rockets, like you do kind of have to figure out how some of the other things are going to work. Like, obviously, you're going to work through Harden all the time, but you know, you got to get all those other guys right. And they're in a really nice spot right now. They've won, what, like 10 straight. That would be the concern to me is that they keep this win streak going for a while um, because I'm trying to count right now. I, okay. It's at nine right now uh, going for 10 tonight against golden state. And it's just like, yeah, if you get that up to like 15 or 16, get it to like the month of April, then, you know, you're, you're kind of doing something that's going to make people talk a little bit more. And we talk about those narrative points all the time and it's like, okay, does it, does it kind of switch over to Harden? So uh, to me, that, that is definitely something I'm going to be watching, obviously to see if Giannis pulls off the MVP or not. But um, that, that to me is a a micro macro kind of thing that I think we'll keep watching until the end of the year. Yeah. Anything else you're thinking of? Go ahead. Yeah. If I look at it like five thirty, just, I just wanted to take like one of these projection models, just see kind of where they had both teams uh, ranking out so 538 projects the bucks currently to finish 62 and 20 raptors 59 and 23 warriors 57 25 uh nuggets uh currently projected to edge out the rockets for the second spot in the west 54 28 versus rockets at 53 and 29 um i agree i mean i think if the rockets had won like 49 games and the bucks win 60 plus and i think like there's like no conversation just because you know especially with the rockets having been pretty healthy at least for a while um then uh then you know the i mean 60 plus versus high 40s like you know come on, it's just just too much right yeah. um but yeah i mean i think agree like if if hard i mean if the if the rockets somehow got the second seed then i think it becomes even more of a conversation mm-hmm. right so i think if denver you know i think there's a good chance obviously rockets win or get that third seed interestingly of course because the thunder are, are kind of right right with them um in, in that race for the kind of three, four or five spots in the West Thunder projected right now at 51 wins. Um, but I think, it, I think it, when you were t- talking about, you know, George and how he figures in, I think the interesting thing is one way that um, 
could really help. I'm going to be really curious to see, you know, if Giannis does win, how much of that is because maybe people who just don't really like James Harden and are kind of sick of James Harden put him third because Paul George gives them cover to not even put him second. Um, so that might be one way that Paul George actually potentially kind of helps the Giannis for MVP candidacy. Um, you know, I think Giannis has Giannis has just sort of like the most. Giannis doesn't really have like weaknesses in his candidacy. Bucks are, you know, knock on wood here, going to be the best team. He's obviously like statistically pretty unassailable as like an overall impact player. Um, and with Harden, it's really just well, he he had like an amazing scoring season. Obviously, he does. You know, he's a good playmaker and defensively, I think he's been very solid this year. Um, has not been a bad defender uh, this year by I don't think by any stretch. So, but but again, there's still some of that perception of him. Like, well, you know, he he's obviously not on Giannis and and Paul George level defensively. And obviously, some people just don't like watching him play. They don't really like the style, even when he was dominating scoring and keeping the the Rockets afloat when they had all those injuries. You know, I think some people were just like, "Oh, that's not the way basketball should be played." I listened to as <laughs> who who did the interview? Oh, it was a, it was Howard Beck's full forty eight um, interview with Rick Barry. <laughs> it's just like Rick <sighs> Barry being like, you know crotchety old man about like oh you can't win that way blah 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 and it's just like and of course he loves the warriors because he's you know they give him free tickets or whatever because he's a warrior great or whatever so he's always sort of holding up the warriors as this you know paragon of excellence understandable but it's just like eh, you watch kevin durant and how he plays with the warriors like uh mm-hmm. there's a lot of like not beautiful basketball that that kd plays which i'd say is especially um obvious because the warriors are much more, I'd say, built to play beautiful ball movement, flowing offensive basketball versus the war- the Rockets. I think are, I mean, I think they really are playing their best brand of basketball when Paul and, and Harden are kind of dominating the ball the way they do. So anyway, that was kind of that was kind of funny. Also, one other relevant footnote to the Rick Barry uh, call, um, he also claimed that he was the original uh, point forward. So shots fired at our guy Marcus Johnson. Wow. Um, and, and he was saying, well, cause I would get a rebound and dribble the ball up the court, um, that, that he was therefore the original point forward. He did have some, some like five to six assists seasons. So it's not like Rick Barry was, you know, just a, a ball hog, amazing scorer guy. Uh, but you know, kind of typical Rick Barry, never one to, uh, never one to be bashful about, uh, his own, his own accomplishments. <laughs> he also, it was kind of funny too, cause he also was saying, um, how coaches like, guys got like he was like i could dribble with my left hand, i could dribble with my right hand but he was kind of like admitting that like currently like current day players are like much better ball handlers because they're like encouraged like big guys are encouraged to dribble and bring the ball up now which is kind of mm-hmm. interesting but I, and i think it's just generally symptomatic of a lot of older players now because like clearly you know a guy from the 70s who didn't have the three-point line i mean clearly he couldn't shoot three-pointers like modern players could because there was no incentive to and even in the 80s right like i mean most players didn't really try to shoot threes so there wasn't really the same incentive but it's just kind of funny how like you know i'd say being able to shoot from far out is a pretty a pretty like good skill skill based way to sort of differentiate between players like if you can't shoot from as far out well that other guy is probably better shooter better shooter than you you know uh as much as they want to aggrandize the uh the mid-range shot um so the idea that like well we couldn't dribble as well because we weren't encouraged to do so by coaches that's like another amusing thing of like oh well you know we could have been good but you know we just we just weren't told that that was a thing it's like okay gotcha (laughs) um anyway um maybe the last maybe the last um 
kind of big topic. And I wanted to talk talk about it last because it's probably the topic that has been probably bludgeoned to death most um, in terms of like how as fans we've been viewing games of late, which is just obviously Will Chris Middleton get a Mac? No, sorry, <laughs> my bad. Yes, will Chris Middleton earn his Max contract in the last month of the season? If he misses some shots, therefore he will not be. He, he will only be. Yeah, if he has like a a forty percent shooting night, then you know, then that that'll be that he's only worth twenty four million dollars and. You know, if you pay him twenty eight million or thirty million, then obviously your your team is is screwed or whatever. Um, no, let's not touch that one. I'm sick of Chris Middleton talk for now. But uh, <laughs> also, I, I said this to you the other night, and I do truly believe this. Um, no one has had an interesting point about Chris Middleton's contract this entire season. Like I, I haven't heard an original thought or idea about his contract in months like it, i don't even know how w- people still manage to talk about it all the time yeah like, it, it's to me wholly uninteresting yeah well it's kind of funny too because like i think in terms of like people's assessment of chris middleton's like monetary value there's actually not nearly as much uh debate as maybe you would think from how much people tweet at us <laughs> even, about it like the even, thing is, like, even like, us, the people that think he's gonna get a max we think that's a bad contract yeah we don't think he's like actually like you know, quote unquote, worth that much. It's just like, well, no. that's if if that's what you have to pay him because someone else is going to give him that or more, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny. Like, I don't know if there's even that much disagreement. It's more just like it's more <laughs> just an argument about like opportunity costs and like the fact that like, well, are the Bucks actually good or should they be trying to save money for some reason for you know down the road? Which I, I still don't really understand. I don't know. I feel like people are kind of trapped in sort of the old Bucks mindset. But anyway, not to talk about that. We just said we weren't going to talk about that, and then we're talking about and it. And we did. Um, no, I think the the other thing that's been bludgeoned to death is, you know, rotations and specifically uh, the kind of big, big rotation, obviously. Um, you know, we've seen DJ Wilson um, not playing much at all. Uh, shout out to uh, mailer, someone who emailed us, Kevin uh, Fazy. Uh, Kevin emailed and, and pointed out, you know, DJ had been shooting really poorly in the kind of a run up to when he basically lost his minutes. And that's something I think people kind of lose sight of. I mean, he was shooting like unsustainably well from three before that. I think, we, you know, he was shooting like 45% from three for an extended for like a month or something like that. And then um, kind of really tailed off offensively kind of before he, uh, he kind of lost his spot. Uh, so I, I think that's a good kind of relevant point, but you know, we're not, I don't think anybody wants DJ Wilson in there for his offense. I mean, the fact that he can be a competent floor stretcher at times. And again, you know, he's probably more of a mid thirties, three point shooter than a mid forties, three point shooter. I don't think anybody's arguing that he's, uh, you know, the power forward version of Clay Thompson or something, but, um, but I think it certainly, it will be interesting to, to watch. Does DJ Wilson ever get minutes here really in the last few weeks of the season? Has Bud sort of settled on Ursan and Nikola Mirotic as his kind of go-to power forwards slash centers, uh, begs off the bench? Does Pau Gasol fit into this at all? Uh, is he, you know, kind of the occasional matchup guy? Um, certainly that Spurs game uh, scared the life out of many Bucks fans watching Pau get smoked and pick and roll over and over. Um, what what would you say, <laughs> how would you advise people view kind of that um quote unquote battle for minutes here over the last month of the season. Do you, I mean, do you think that 
guys have a chance to win minutes? Do you think Bud is going to experiment a lot? Or what do you think the, the last month of the season means in terms of, um, obviously, I mean, obviously nobody really cares that much about who's playing in the last month of the season, so long as it's, you know, the Bucks continue to win games at a real clip. I mean, it's really people being anxious about what it might mean for the playoffs. So I don't know, how would you contextualize kind of what we're seeing with that group of guys and what it means for this team, especially heading into the playoffs? Um, hmm. I don't think that the next month has anything to do with who's going to play. Um, I don't, I don't really think it matters because I think Mike Budenholzer made up his mind. Um, let's see when Ersan signed at 1201 on July 1st, right? Um, he made up his mind on July 1st at 1201, who was going to play. Like, I, I think to me, it's, it's pretty obvious that he, he leans on his veterans. He leans on Ersan. Ersan is a guy that he trusts, um, evidence through obviously all the time that he has played um, through all the matchups he's played against uh, through Bud disagreeing with my assessment that he didn't play well against the Lakers and promptly dunking on me, which is I think the only time this year that he's really kind of dunked on me for a question. Um, He he trusts our son. He believes in our son and he's going to ride with our son. Um, To me, I, I think it it's, I don't want to say it's obvious, but you know, I do think that Ursan is going to be the favorite for those minutes. Um, I will say, I don't think Pau Gasol is a factor in any of this. Um, I think they got Pau. They knew that they were playing the Phoenix Suns uh, in the first game that he was available, and they want to try to get him a little run there. Um, they played the Pacers in that next game. They got him a little run, and then I think he got some garbage time run against the Pacers as well. Uh, and then, you know, like when it, when it kind of came down to business against Charlotte, he didn't play. He didn't play against the Pelicans. And then he played 15 minutes against San Antonio. And to me, those 15 minutes against San Antonio were um, a professional courtesy. <laughs> like, hey, here's the team that wouldn't play you and, you know, didn't think you were good enough to be in the rotation. Like, we're going to give you these minutes tonight. So, you not that you can stick it to him, but like you can show him that, you know, you're, you moved on and you have this pretty new girlfriend and she's great and you're so happy. Um, and obviously that didn't work. <laughs> he, he, he got played off the floor. He, he was, he was terrible in that game. Um, but to me, like, I, I don't, I don't suspect we're going to see much of Pau Gasol other than, you know, if a, if a situation would really call for it, let's say Brooke Lopez gets in foul trouble, which is something that he rarely does. Uh, Brooke Lopez goes down. There's some garbage time. Uh, there's someone sitting out a game, whether that would be Brooke or whether that'd be Urson. Like, you know, maybe, maybe that's when he factors in, but, for the most part, I don't think he really he's really going to be a factor. And, you know, I think we've seen for a little while now, obviously you mentioned DJ not shooting quite as well. Um, you know, I, I think Bud does value DJ's versatility, but also I think if you would ask him to grade the defensive versatility of Ursani Lee Silva and the defensive versatility of DJ Wilson, I think the grade would be uh much closer than Bucks fans would yeah. grade it. <laughs> if I it, like, I just think Bud thinks he can do a lot, and, and he's very helpful on that end. And Bucks fans might not feel the same way. Yeah, I think that's probably safe to say. Um, I, I could see maybe a scenario. I could see maybe a scenario where, um, you know, if the Bucks are playing a team where 
you know, especially like a, a Toronto, for instance, right? They have a lot of um, really mobile, athletic guys they can put on the front line. Um, I could see a scenario where Yana or uh, Urs, if Urson comes in and you know misses some shots, and you know Pascal Siakam like bullies him and drives right around him, or you know something like that. Like it it's becomes really apparent, like you know. And, and he was doing this when when Urson was really struggling with his jump shot there when he first came back and he didn't you know score for like two weeks straight. Like he kept going to him, and then he would go away from him in the second half. It it seemed like like he just he just wouldn't play him in the second half of games. Um, I could see something like that. Un- you know, unfortunately, I will say because again, I think um, I I don't know if this is a totally rational take. Um, I would say a little bit like. I I still have a little bit more feeling of like I worry that like the Bucks might not have as like the Bucks could get into a series where, you know, defensively they, they kind of struggle to, to stop a team. Um, and that could just be simply a matter of like, this teams get hot, obviously. So it may not be like, Oh, they just can't match up with the team. Um, but I think as long as you have like, you know, both Ursan and Miritich, you know, being the main bigs off the bench. Yeah. I do worry that, that there might be, you know, teams out there that, that figure out ways to exploit that. And, um, obviously, we've seen the Bucks be willing to to go to more switching schemes when their kind of base defense isn't working. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting if uh, if we could see more of DJ. I, I would agree. Though. I I I just don't see DJ jumping ahead of Arsan in in the rotation, uh, and I think it will probably take you know more than let's say most slash any of us would, would need to see in order for, for Bud to go to DJ yep. um, or alternatively, you know, Ursan obviously, you know, if he get picks up an injury, then obviously that would kind of force his hand. I mean, DJs, you know, really didn't get in the lineup until injuries really kind of forced, forced it to happen. Um, and obviously before Meritich showed up, obviously they had less depth um, at the big spots anyway. So um so yeah, I think it'll be. I think it's going to be interesting to watch. I think you know, emotionally, Bucks fans should probably prepare to be frustrated. I think the one argument I think um, that the end of the season matters is just because I mean, DJ has not played much NBA basketball in the grand scheme of the universe, right? I mean, he's still a guy who has not really gotten that many game reps. So I think you know, I, I think there definitely is an argument of well, I mean, if you think you're going to need this guy in the playoffs, like you, you should really kind of try to get him some reps you should try to figure out, especially with Miritich. I mean, how many minutes has G.J. Wilson seen since Miritich got here, right? I mean, we know Miritich is going to be in the rotation Mm -hmm. justifiably. Um, And I think Miritich being in the rotation is probably arguably like the best argument for making D.J. the other kind of big guy in the kind of four-man big guy rotation just because he obviously can defend players that that Nikola can't or defend them better than than Nikola can't. So, um, so I, I think there's reason to be frustrated that, you know, we're not seeing any DJ. Um, and it's also frustrating that, you know, when <laughs> when Ursan gets a rest night, that it's like Pow, Pow played the other night. And I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I doubt Pow is just put on ice for the next month. I have to think we'll see him occasionally. Yep. And kind of the bummer is that, well, you know, that's just one more guy who's seemingly ahead of DJ in the pecking order. And, you know, I think part of that's just because DJ is a young guy and they feel like, you know, they but probably feels like he can get away with not needing him. And he's viewing him more as like the, you know, breaking case of emergency guy. But um, I think, you know, again, it's, I, 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 I'm, I'm frustrated by that. I would, obviously I would love to see DJ more involved. Um, that said, um, 
you know, I think it's also to some extent speaks to how good the Bucks are that our biggest, you know, argument from like a kind of tactics perspective is why is DJ Wilson, AKA the guy that like most of us hated and didn't think should be on the team in November. Like, why is that guy not getting, not getting minutes? So it's, it's kind of a good problem to have that we can't find minutes for DJ Wilson. Um, I don't think the Bucks are going to have probably have much choice, but to play him, you know, next year and the year after. Uh, but uh, you know, for sure. I, I, I definitely have, you know, some concerns that that not playing DJ could be the kind of thing that we look back on. And again, like we're all we're always we're always going to second guess if and when the Bucks lose in the playoffs. Um, but if they struggle defensively, especially with Ursan or or God forbid Pow, um, you know that's going to be the easy that's going to be the easy <laughs> thing to point to. And I think justifiably to some extent for sure. Um, but you know, I think we were talking before the pod. I mean, it's also kind of like emotionally, so many of us are like ready to to blame. Uh, the Bucks future playoff loss on DJ Wilson not playing that um, I don't know. It's, it's like, we, we also kind of need to keep things in perspective of obviously this is not like, Oh, you're, you know, you're, you're starting George Hill over Eric Bledsoe or, you know, you're, you're not playing. I don't even know what, what the, what, a, you know, there are obviously other things you could be doing that, uh, that would be bigger deals. So again, Hopefully at the championship parade, we, we forget that we even cared about this. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's only something to watch. It's, I think it's reasonable to look at. And, um, you know, we've gotten so, um, obviously some extent we've gotten so used to the Bucks winning and dominating um, that, uh, you know, I think it's fair to get even greedier and say, well, how do we bring even another dimension to this team defensively that, um, you know, they, they haven't otherwise had, you know, and I think certainly what DJ could let you do switching wise and, and all that, I think is, uh, is really interesting. And so, um, again, it's a, it's a nice luxury to have, and I guess we'll just have to see if, if it's something that, that the Bucks actually realize and, and use, or if it's something that, you know, they, they maybe regret, uh, you know, not using down the road. All right. I think that's going to be it for us for tonight. Um, I could belabor the point further, but you know, I think it's, it's pretty obvious. Like, uh, we both, believe in what dj wilson can kind of do defensively whether or not we're totally sure that dj wilson is playoff ready or really just you know what he did in those couple of months is is who he really is now um you know there is no doubt that that's a a dimension that some of the other bucks bigs just don't have like that i think that part is very obvious so uh we'll see we'll see if the bucks get into a spot where you know they have to switch obviously um i i wasn't 100 percent sure what the bucks would do defensively last year and then uh, as you mentioned uh they hit their you know break glass in case of a switching emergency and brought out thon maker uh so maybe bud would do the same thing where they they have a switching emergency and you know they break out uh dj wilson and um obviously you know i think also with thon i i should really go back i wonder how many minutes thon had played in his rookie year compared to dj um i mean i thought Thon only played like a few hundred minutes like it's i remember it was a much lower number than i think we really thought of it being because it, it was all basically in the second half of the season. Um, 560 minutes. Um, so that's what Don played as a, as a rookie. And I, I, I'm just curious now what, uh, how many minutes he did play this year. Let me do the quick math here. Basketball um, uh, 575. So basically, he has the exact same number of minutes this year as Don played in his rookie So maybe season. he is ready. I, if nothing else, he should be playing to work on his free throws. 39% DJ from the free throw line. <laughs> Come on, man. Bad. Come on. 
He's a pa- he's a paper champ too because he was he was the yeah, he had the, the winner for a month as well. That's that's just not great. All right, um, that's gonna and be he's a- an 82 percent eighty two percent career free throw shooter in college. Come on, DJ, you know you can hit these. Yeah, figure it out, man. Um, that is gonna be it for us for today. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric. Name this has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.